1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Richie Fury was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997 as a founding member of Buffalo Springfield. He called in to discuss tomorrow's release of his new album of country duets called In the Country, as well as memories of meeting Stephen Stills and Neil Young to form Buffalo Springfield in 1966 for a string of iconic hits like For What It's Worth. Hey, Richie Fury. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Good morning. My pleasure. Of course, you know legend of you know Buffalo Springfield. That's that's what you're in the Rock Hall of Fame for. Uh, you know Poco. So many things over the years, and we can get to all that in a minute. But uh, first, the main thing we want to talk about is you're releasing your first studio album in seven years. It's it's called In the Country. I believe it's going to be out on July 8th. So tell me about this new album. You know, uh, it's uh, it, you you have a couple cool guest appearances and just tell what what we got.
0: What a challenging and fun project. Val Gray, the producer, who I worked with in 1979, um, brought up the idea to do this album of country standards or country hits, basically. And we started putting our list together, because I wasn't sure you know, how far back he wanted to go. But when uh, the very first song on my list was the very first song on his list, I knew we would be on our way to something. And so we just put 14 songs together. Actually, there's 12 um, and two bonus tracks. But... Uh, what a what a fun project, and I'm just so excited that Val came and asked me to uh, to do this uh, project.
1: Awesome! Remind us of some of the the big names. There's some real big names. Everyone's going to know uh, that that join you on this album.
0: Well, probably uh, between Vince Gill and Timothy B. Schmidt, those are those are the two big ones
1: <laughs> of the Eagles, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yep and uh jason chef of chicago john barry uh yeah this is it's it's stacked um tell me about you know uh, as we prepare to pick up this album um let break down a you know a song or two let's highlight a song or two you know uh so which you know tell me a song you want to you want to talk about
0: (laughs) well the very first song on the album somebody like you you know that was uh, one of the songs that i really wanted to do number one keith urban is just I mean, he is just such the real deal. You know, I mean, he writes, he sings, he plays, he's just a great entertainer. But this song, there is just something about the melody of the song that is just so fresh. You cannot hear this song without feeling good. In fact, I played it the other night in Nashville and, and, you know, just had the audience sing along. And everybody was singing because this song just makes you feel good and, you know, part of the, the, the you know, wh- why I would ever, ever want to make a record is I want to make music, make people feel good. And this song here just really spoke to me in that way. Um, then there's songs like, um, um, oh, I Hope You Dance, which I, I just love, Leanne Womack. And the hmm. song just really touched my heart. Um, there's one other here. Let me, let me just look at this. Um,
1: uh, oh, in, uh, I'm in Already There. Oh, I'm already uh, you know, there. The, the Lone Star song.
0: Some songs, I'm telling you, I, when, when they first came out, and even when we started to, to choose this one, I chose that song also. But I'd be driving in my car just listening to it, trying to get it memorized and everything, you know. And man, I just started breaking down crying.
1: Oh, that I mean, one is. <laughs> and
0: here I am talking about songs that make you feel good, but also songs that just reach deep down in your heart for personal experiences, you know.
1: Oh, the, I'm um, the sunshine in your hair and the shadow on the ground. How do you not get goosebumps when you, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just, I yeah. just, I just love that song. Yeah. Um, well, same same, uh, same, with, same with, I hope you dance. You mentioned, I mean, that, that one is a very, that'll get you emotional too. And my, I remember my grandfather, when that came out, he bought it. He's, he gave it to my little sister. He was like, this reminds me of, you know, go as you go journey in life, like that song is, but then, or somebody like you, you mentioned the, when Keith Urban sings, "Um, I want to see this feel the sun sunshine shining down on me (laughs) and you you know it just makes you smile i i know it
0: does and with with i hope you dance every single line and every single thought is such a positive thought i hope you never lose your sense of wonder you always, you know you get your fill to eat but you always keep that hunger you know and and don't never fear those mountains in the distance but never don't settle for the path of reason uh, resistance resistance. you know it's just these songs, I don't know. I, I really feel like all of the songs that we that we chose and we picked, um, you know, just have some positive. You know, right now I just really believe we need that in our lives. We just need a really positive outlook. And some of the songs, you know, are are you know they're not quite in the in the same vein. I picked a Ricky Nelson song because Ricky Nelson had such an influence on my life with Ozzy and Harriet back in the day. And uh, I just so I picked Lonesome Town to do. And nice. I don't these songs are all special songs. And I really hope that when people get a chance to hear them, they're actually hearing like. I guess today young people I guess they make their own little playlists <laughs> and that's what this album is to me right. it's it, it's it's my this is my playlist <laughs>
1: this is your spotify playlist (laughs) (laughs) that's it (laughs) oh well you i mean thanks for walking us through a couple of them because they are i mean they are some of my favorite country if you can't tell i'm a big country fan as well as i can
0: tell (laughs) but um but
1: yeah you you plucked out some of the great ones from over the years so it's it's going to be you know we er encourage all our listeners to, to check this out it's a great collection uh, well, awesome. Awesome. Well, whenever I have someone famous like yourself on, you know, a rock Hall of Famer, I love hearing about, you know, your, your whole journey and everything. So uh, t- take me to back to the very beginning. You, where, where, where were you, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into music?
0: I grew up in Yellow Springs, Ohio, a little small town near Dayton. And um, you know, music wasn't really a, a big part of our of my family life. My dad liked to listen to the radio, <laughs> and my mom sang in the church choir. But other than that, you know, it was just something that I wanted. I asked my parents for a guitar when I was eight years old, and uh, for Christmas, and um, they brought me this. Oh God, I came downstairs. I can't even tell you, man. And I looked underneath the tree and saw the shadow of this guitar there. And and it was a uh, when I got up close, man, it, it was this puke green with cowboy scenes all over it, gut string guitar. And I, I walked it upstairs, I said, I want a real guitar. I don't know what I was thinking of the day, but anyway, they, they were really gracious. And, and we got. I'd love to have, believe me, I'd love to have that guitar right now. But, right, um, exactly.
1: You know, Santa was working hard for you, you just didn't get it.
0: <laughs> you know, as, as time went on, you know, music began to pick up for me a little bit. In college, it was folk music. And, um, you know, actually in high school, I, I, I was like the, the little anthony and the the Imperials. I was the lead singer for some of the upperclassmen that sang some doo-wop music, Dion and the Belmont and that type stuff. And, Ah, you know, then I went to New York in 1964, though, to be a folk singer. And I met Stephen Stills back there.
1: And, uh, we,
0: we, uh, we put a little group together. Um, and, um, when it broke up, he moved to California and, um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do at the time. I knew I still wanted to play music, but I also wanted to eat. So I got a job up at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft for a while because my cousin had a, he was an executive up there. And then a friend of mine who lived across the street from me in New York brought the birds first record up to me to listen to and said, you got to hmm. hear this. Hmm. And when I heard that record, by the way, the friend was Graham Parsons. Oh my and um,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: and when, uh, when I heard the record, I said, yeah, I got to get a hold of Stephen and find out what he's doing. And he's got back to me after a while, and he, and he said, man, come on out to California, I got a group together, all I needs is another singer, and so I told him I was going to get my uh, my affairs all in order, and and uh, I'd be out there soon, and so I, when I got out there, Stephen and I were the band, there was no band, it was just me and him, wow. <laughs> so that was kind of a crazy time, and you know, when you're living it, when you're going through it in the moment, it, it was it was a little bit of a shocker. But it all worked out for the better because Stephen and I sat in, in, a little, um, in a little apartment and we learned all of the songs that he wrote for the first Buffalo Springfield record. We learned how to harmonize. We learned how to sing in unison. We learned how to phrase songs together. And so when it was time to put this uh, record, you know, I mean, to make the record, you know, we were really far in advance. But um, so the, the time was well spent. But boy, when you were in the middle of it, it was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> but it was the right move. And, you know, a couple of weeks into that, or maybe about, you know, two or three weeks into that, we met steven I mean, we met Neil Young and Bruce Palmer. Each of us had met him at different times along. The way though, um, on Sunset Boulevard, Neil had come down from Canada to to actually find Stephen, and um, there we were, man, stuck in traffic right across in on Sunset Boulevard as Neil was leaving town, and um, we got out of the cars, you know, in a parking lot, Ben Frank's parking lot, a little restaurant there, and you know, talked about starting a band together. Got back to the apartment, and that was it, man. We um, we started a little band back in 1965.
1: A little band that became legendary. Uh, not not a not a super super long run originally, but just a, a powerful, iconic, iconic group. I mean, uh, well, and I also I want to double back for a second. Uh, the the band you referenced in the beginning was uh, the Agogo Singers because you were <laughs> Cafe Agogo, the famous uh, spot in New York. That's where you. That's and right, and Stephen. We- Stills first hooked up but but once you made it to la the big band we're talking about is is buffalo yeah. springfield so had it, and, and so you said it was you steven stills neil young of course bruce palmer and dewey martin i guess that was mm-hmm. the original lineup there yep. um how did you come up with the name what what was the buffalo springfield what's in a name
0: <laughs> well there was a steamroller that was working on Fountain Boulevard or Fountain Avenue, I can't remember if it was, I think it's Fountain Avenue, in Los Angeles, very close to where we were standing at the time, as Buffalo Springfield, and we, you know, vandalized the kind of the seam roller, took some of the signs off of it, came back, put it in on a fireplace uh, mantle in <laughs> um, in one of our friends' house, said, hey, that looks like a good name, you know, so <laughs> little did I know that the Springfield was the Springfield that was nine miles from my hometown in Ohio, Springfield, Ohio. <laughs>
1: no way! Small right? I had right? no
0: idea when we got to sign. And, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, uh, you know, after the group got started, we got a little note, or I got a note from uh, from the company who had disbanded and went on to um, Harvester International, and I don't know what else they, they kind of subs- uh, became a subsidiary of. But uh, they wrote back and they said... Oh, man, it's so good to see the name out there. Have fun and all that other good stuff. You know, they didn't they didn't say stop using the name or (laughs) we're going to sue you or whatever. But they said, use that name and have fun. So it was a steamroller
1: wow i never knew that i never knew that well you hit popular music like a steamroller man <laughs> um, tell me about that you mentioned that very very first uh album um i guess it was a self-titled album. yeah in 66 um mm-hmm. tell me about i mean the big song was for what it's worth i'll get to that in a second but tell me about that debut single nowadays clancy can't even sing <laughs> members of putting that one together
0: yeah, one day, uh, you know, Neil came down from uh, Toronto to New York City, where uh, we were still maintaining a little apartment there at 161 Thompson Street. And um, he stayed with me and, and he played me some of the songs. He was down there to pedal songs, actually. And he, he played me Clancy and I just fell in love with the song. <laughs> now move forward to win Buffalo Springfield because that was actually one of the hooks also I think that got Neil to to want to be part of the band at that particular initial meeting and all because Steven and I had learned that song as well as all the songs that Steven was writing and I just I just shared that one with him he kind of knew it but I had it really in my heart but um, w- when it was released as the first single I really think that that was a mistake really? Um, Why are you saying uh, that? Yep. And I, I say that because the song is just it's just a little strange. I mean <laughs> people ask me, you know, what's the song about and I say, "Well, you got to ask Neil. I don't have a clue." <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I think it was about a, a a guy in his school that was kind of bullied and all. But the song I huh. here here's my feeling. Like a, is it like a, Pearl Jam, a
1: Jer- like a Jeremy, like he's getting picked on. Like Pearl Yeah, Jam?
0: The, yeah, that, that's what I that's what I think the the song was really um, you know, part of it was about right. but the song that in my opinion that should have been this very first single because it was so much more accessible to a to a general public would have been do i have to come right out and say it mm. i think it was more um of, of a song that that people can grab onto um because clancy was just is it esoteric is that the word i want to use yeah, i don't know yeah, it's just a little I think
1: so.
0: little strange and do I have to come right out and say it? It was just so simple. It was a love song, had a great melody and a great message. And that, that, that's just, hey Jace, that's just my personal opinion, but that's how I felt about it.
1: <laughs> hey, I, I, I love hearing that because I'm sure different band members would say different things, but you're right. I guess you're, you know, mid sixties, you could, it was some heady trippy times. You could probably <laughs> get away with releasing an esoteric one first <laughs> maybe, but um, you, you had to sit down. I think I love you. There was a bunch on that first one, but we, mm-hmm. gotta, talk, we gotta talk about it for what it's worth. I I mean, that that is Buffalo Springfield's (laughs) biggest lasting legacy. And we, you know, we actually had. I talked to Stephen stills a couple years ago when Crosby stills at and Nash and, and we invite our listeners to check to check out that, that podcast in our archives. But um, they came and sang like the national Christmas tree lighting. And we, I was talking to Stephen stills about, and I asked what, what line uh, registered the most for him from that song still today. And actually I'll ask you what, what, and then I'll reveal what he said. <laughs> what, what, what do you, what line in for what it's worth do you think is still applicable the most today? <laughs> well uh, i mean probably paranoia strikes deep i don't know into <laughs> your heart that's... it'll creep right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think he he said there's a man with a gun over there it was his line yeah. um but yeah. but anyway tell me about the recording of that song that is an all-timer well did he
0: tell you this, the the story of, of that too and this is we, we were over at his house and ahmed erdogan was in town ahmed was the president of, of atlantic records and um you know, the the album, as we released it, uh, first off, you know, it didn't quite um, gain the momentum or have the success that I think everyone was looking for. So Ahmet was out in California just looking for to hear songs that we were going to uh, put on the second album. And after Stephen played some songs and Neil played some songs and I actually played a couple songs, you know, we're packing up our instruments and everything. And, and um, Stephen said, oh, I got one more for what it's worth
1: ah that's the
0: title and that was it wow because the title isn't even in the song anywhere
1: right right most people just know it as stop children what's that sound right (laughs) and so
0: that's the backstory that i that i remember (laughs) <laughs> wow.
1: I didn't know that. You're right. And I never thought about that. Yeah. The, the title is not actually in it, but I guess speak in, in broader terms, speak to, you know, how it sort of captured what was going on in that era. You know, the, well, we, we came out of folk music and folk
0: music had a lot of protest music, if you will. And, and and I when I heard the song, it, it went right. It, it went over my head just like whew, as a song because I was into Bluebird and Rock and Roll Woman and Mr right. Soul and I'm. We were out there rock and rolling at the Whiskey Go Go and here's this little. Oh, there's something happening here, you know. Yeah. And it was just a little to me. But Ahmed said that's a hit. We have to record that song. <laughs> and so I think we were in the studio, you know, within just you know days. And uh, they're at Gold Star. And, um, you know, practically, I think some of that first album, most of that first album was all done on four track uh, recording, too. <laughs> oh,
1: cool. Good to know. Uh, well, you mentioned a couple of the songs on the second album, so let's dive in. It, it was Buffalo Springfield again. Such an original mm-hmm. title, man. <laughs> in 67. It didn't matter because you know what? The songs were great. Tell me about uh, you mentioned Bluebird and Mr. Soul. I guess Mr. Mm-hmm. Soul was a Neil Young. He wrote that and then Steven mm-hmm. Stills, Stills wrote Bluebird. But tell me about sort of, uh, you know, why you think those two songs are still, you know, loved by your fans today.
0: Uh, well, um, you know, uh, I think, so, you know, songs are so personal to people and why it might be, you know, so popular in somebody's mind. Uh, you know, someone might grab on to, well, I love the melody. Others, I love the story. You know, I mean, Bluebird was obviously about a relationship. Uh, Mr. Soul seemed to be a rock and roll. Uh, Neil's, uh, uh, you know, vision of of just being a rock and roll player, you know, or a star, uh, which he turned into be quite so. Um, but I, I mean, the songs were just, I mean, they were fun to play. They, they were, they were songs that that we were just, um, what do I want to say? I, I don't know. We, we, you know, the day we were able to experiment with so many different things. And as you look at even at the other uh, songs on the album, like Expecting to Fly, um, something like that, you know, I mean, we were listening to the Beatles and we heard what they were doing and, and we wanted to join in that little crowd, you know, if we could have just experimentation. And what was so much fun was you could do a song, you know, like Expecting to Fly and you could do a song like uh, uh, Mr. Soul, but then you could also do a song like Child's Claim to Fame, you know, which was a little bluegrassy song. So we 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 weren't being pigeonholed. I have to say, as far as my career goes, that was one of the things that I really look back on and, and just um, I'm so happy about. You know, we never had to be like somebody else. We want you to sound like this person or that person. You know, there was so much music that was going on uh, in Los Angeles at the time, from the from the Doors to the Beach Boys to the Turtles to you know. I mean, there's so much. So much different music that people were just experimenting with. It was just a great, fun time to be making
1: music. Absolutely a great time for music. And before we run, we got around it out with the the third album. I guess it would be Buffalo Springfield's last, you know, uh, not if you don't count all the compilations and stuff, but <laughs> yeah,
0: right. it's called because those went on
1: for years, thankfully. Uh, but the third the third official studio album was uh, last time around. Um uh-huh. a bunch of songs, but I wanted to, of course, ask you about maybe the most famous one that you wrote, Kind Woman. It was the last yep. one on on the on the backside. So it was sort of our you sort you have the distinction as sort of writing the very last buffalo springfield song
0: well there you go <laughs> leave <laughs> it to me to break
1: that band up you you ended it. <laughs> <laughs> no but memories of writing when that song came to you and you're sort of the writing process of it
0: well i'll tell you um there at the whiskey ago-go there was this uh lady that uh came and stood right in the front actually she came with her boyfriend who was in a group called the leaves at the time And uh, he said, you got to hear this new band down at the Whiskey. And and um, so she came down and 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 she would like night after night because we were there for about six weeks and she would be right there in the front row and manage even without my glasses on, man. She caught my attention. And, uh, you know, I I just I I wrote that song about her. And today we're 55 years together.
1: Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. we would all be, we'll all be so blessed if we could all, all our marriages can make it that long. That's what I'm going for, man. Uh, well, we also, I guess around that time, I guess that lineup of Buffalo Springfield at the end included Jim Messina at the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, future would, you know, would do logins in Messina, but we, I want to talk to you about Jim because you and him would, uh, go on to reform the country rock band Poco. Uh, yeah. tell me about, and I guess, what would you say? The most famous song, probably crazy love, but, um, talk about just the, those days because that's that sort of will uh, sort of be our uh segue back into your your new country album but we got to hit well poco. <laughs> you know
0: J- jimmy and i i mean we saw the writing on the wall we knew when you know the group was not going to be you know going on much longer and we just got to talking and and said hey you know when, when the group breaks up and i was uh, my, my feeling was as long as steven was in the band i was in the band because when i look at buffalo springfield i say it was steven's band he was the heart and soul of the band right. so when he he left the band and jimmy and i just decided we were gonna we were gonna follow on with our uh with our vision of doing this kind of hopefully crossing over country music and rock and roll music yeah. actually going from the rock and roll side to the countryside and um so, you know, that, that was really what, what was the beginning there with Picking Up the Pieces being Poco's first record of, of you know, and, and that, that song kind of tells the story. You know, hey, you guys, I'm really just a lot like you, speaking to the country uh, market at the time. And um, mm-hmm. so it was, um, uh, th- that's what we, we had in mind, and we followed through with that vision, and we actually started a genre which became some of the biggest, uh, probably the most uh, um, I don't know, significant um, American rock and roll music with the Eagles, you know? Glenn oh, yeah. Fry used to sit on my living room floor when I was rehearsing Poco.
1: <laughs> no way! <laughs> oh yeah,
0: right there at 2300 Laurel Canyon Boulevard. There he came in, man, and
1: that was before he was on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. He was on <laughs> That's <corner>. right. <laughs> before he was on the corner, of Winslow, Arizona. He was there at twenty three hundred Law Canyon Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, a, that, that would have been too long to to fit into the lyric there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're so right. You and then of course the Eagles with Brian Henley and everybody. They they that was a, that is one of the coolest. I I just smiled. My heart swells thinking about that sort of country rock uh, era, and you know, and it and it became. I mean, even a little harder rock as it went on obviously yeah post how california on but uh a lot of what actual what the country music today kind of sounds a lot like that more of country rock vibe you guys kind of started yeah. all of it uh we well did. final seconds uh before we plug the album one last time but final seconds um just to put a button on the Buffalo Springfield. Um, what was it like getting going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with those guys? Because like we said, three albums, but three massively important cultural, you know, groundbreaking, uh, it was a groundbreaking moment. So of course you would go in the Rock Hall, but it's still gotta, yeah. that's gotta be a nice uh, honor.
0: You know, Jason, it was. And uh, I mean, the people would recognize you and, and uh, your peers, you know, and, and acknowledge, you know, your contribution to music um it, it was very humbling and um it's really a, a great honor to to be holding on to
1: that was in 97 I guess and you get didn't you guys do you did like a comeback tour shortly after that for a little bit right we did about 10 years ago
0: yeah nice and that was uh that was without obviously Bruce and Dewey who had passed away um but uh yeah we, we did uh, six seven we did seven shows
1: do you stay in touch with Neil Young or Stephen Stills or any of those guys? Yeah, and
0: actually we're getting together in about three weeks to, to do a, uh, an interview um, with, um, uh, for, for a documentary that uh, my manager is putting together with me. And uh, Cameron Crowe is going to be doing the moderation of the uh, interview. <laughs>
1: really? Almost <laughs> so famous gonna himself? Be, yeah,
0: we're going yeah. to see each other in a couple weeks.
1: Oh, that's so good to hear. Long live Buffalo Springfield. That's what I that's what I say. It is iconic stuff. But uh well, all right. Look to keep an eye out for that interview or in that documentary. But in the meantime, uh pick up a copy of Richie Fury's first studio album in seven years, folks. It's called <laughs> in the country so many great songs somebody like you i hope you dance um what else did we say walking in memphis i'm already there i'm already crying <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks so much for doing this this was awesome getting to talk with you and buffalo springfield memories this was great
0: thanks jason talk to you man Appreciate all right. it. Bye-bye. all right be well bye